Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the lives and histories of your favorite musical heroes and theirs. Over the course of this series, I'll be speaking to some incredible musicians, writers, artists, and creatives about the three records that have come to define their lives. Now, this isn't yet another podcast, highlighting the coolest, the edgiest, and most rarefied records people have in their collection. No, no, no. God knows there's enough of those. This is a podcast for everyone, where we celebrate the personal relationship people have with the music that they listen to. So expect some unexpected choices, forgotten favorites from across the musical spectrum, from rock to pop to house. So to my very first guest on Recorded History, and what a guest it is. An icon, a legend, a superstar, a woman who has sold, wait for it, over 100 million records throughout her remarkable career. And in 1997, with the album Come On Over, which in its own right sold 40 million, became the biggest selling female artist of all time across all genres. She has wowed us. She has brought leopard skin back. She has influenced the likes of Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Diplo, of all people. She has a brand new album out. It's called The Queen of Me. It is excellent. It is Shania Twain. Yeah, I still can't believe it. I still cannot believe I got to speak to Shania Twain. It occurred to me when I was told that she was going to be my first guest, once my jaw relocated itself to my skull. I said, what, what do I know about Shania Twain, apart from all the incredible string of huge hits she's had over the years, you know, the videos, everything that went with it, some of the tabloid gossip, of course. But what did I know about the woman herself? And I have to admit, really not very much at all. So, of course, I set about reading up about her, listening to interviews, reading interviews. I watched the documentary, Not Just a Girl, on Netflix. And the woman that emerged for me was, I suppose, the few words I would use at that stage before I spoke to her. Strong, determined, you know, incredibly talented, very, you know, very single visioned. She knew exactly what she wanted from a very early part of her career. And boy, did she achieve that and more. But what I suppose I didn't also know was how tragic her upbringing was. She had an incredibly tough childhood. Working, as she mentions here in the interview, really starting singing at the age of three. And her mother would bring her around to the bars and late night clubs in Canada at the age of eight. Can you imagine at the age of eight? And that small slip of a girl being shoved onto the stage to sing before these drunk and possibly rowdy patrons of the bars and clubs uh, in her home country of Canada. And the strength that it took, you know, the confidence and the courage that she would have had to have had, which I think stood throughout her career. And as you'll hear in the interview right now, you know, the the whole premise of the podcast is that we get people to pick three records that signify our pivotal moments in their lives. And before I got her list of what she was going to talk about, I, again, I may have had a bit of a preconceived notion. I thought there'd be a bit of Dolly in there, maybe some classic country, stuff like that. But no, absolutely no. She is no end of surprises. 
the three records that she chose. Would not have thought that Shania Twain would pick these three records, but it speaks to her, I suppose. She's a very hard woman to define with her music. She is not one that likes or wants to be labelled or pigeonholed or boxed into any genre corner. She knows her stuff. She knows her music. And as you can hear through the way she describes what this, not only what the albums meant, but musically what she got from each of these albums really opened my eyes and my ears to these records once again. I found her to be instantly warm, very engaging, very friendly, very, you know, she put me at my ease. I'm not going to lie. You can hear me stumbling a little bit at the beginning of this, of this interview. I wore purposely. Could have been a risky move, this, but I wore a Dolly Parton t-shirt. I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan, and I know she is too. So once I sat down in front of the video camera, she had a quick look at that, and we looked at each other, and we had a bit of a laugh. And from there on in, it was, without doubt, one of the most, if not the most, enjoyable, engaging, enlightening, and entertaining interviews I have ever, ever done. She was so gracious, so kind, and to spare the time out of her busy schedule, to share the knowledge that she has about just three of the records that she loves in her life and goes into great detail into her career, the tragedy of losing her parents only at the age of, you know, at the age of 21 in 1987 and how that had such a momentous impact on not just her life but the lives of her brothers and sisters who she went on to have to look after really for a couple of years and then how it drove her. The determination that she showed then that stood to her throughout her remarkable career really is definitely worth listening to. And I'd like to invite you to join me as I discuss with, I'll say it again, I still can't believe I'm saying this, Shania Twain, as she picks and discusses the three records that mean the most to her in her recorded history. The great Shania Twain. The main thing is you can see my face, really and truly. I hope you don't mind. I brought Dolly with me today. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> Love it. one legend meeting another. First of all, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to share your absolutely incredible choices for this inaugural episode of Recorded History. We'll get straight into it. Let's get stuck in. Famously and of legend, you started your career very young, singing at three and then almost professionally, I suppose, at the age of eight. Just quickly before we get into your first choice, there was a lovely moment in your wonderful documentary that you mentioned one of the lines that stood out for me one of the many was that when you were in the car and the radio was on you were forever and notorious for twiddling the knob of the radio to get from one song to the other you were so impatient to catch as many songs as possible and i was wondering then was music much of a part of your upbringing in and around the house was there many records lying around i we didn't have a stereo in the house we didn't have a lot of i mean we had a black and white little black and white tv we didn't we, yeah yeah we, yeah same we here for like the best you know, gear for listening to music. But I did have a little like red and white KTL turntable in my bedroom, like a little plastic one. And that's what I listened to everything on. Wow. Uh, so it wasn't quality, but I could still listen to music. And that was, uh, I spent a lot of time wearing that little kind of, it was like a toy turntable. Yeah, I was similar. I had a, um, what we call a Fisher-Price record player. It was this, it was intended for three-year-olds, but I was absolutely 13 still using it. So I hear you. It sounded more like a, an AM radio. Yeah, I miss it to this day. Um, we'll get stuck into your very first choice for recorded history, an album that came out in 1979. Shania Twain, what is your first entry for your recorded history choices today? Uh, one of my favorites was Breakfast in America. Wow. Super Tramp. Yes. So where were you at this time when this came out? What are your memories? Where does it bring you? At this point in my life, I'm living in a uh, small 
town called, uh, I'm living between two little towns called Sudbury and Hanmer. Oh, okay. Ontario. And I'm, you know, all, all of us kids are still at home. There's seven of us living in the house. My great escape is, you know, writing music and listening to music. And I didn't have this album personally. So I would have to go to my friend's house to listen to it. So I was there a lot. In fact, I would even go there when 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 he wasn't there. His yeah, parents yeah. would come in and listen to the yeah, records. Yeah, yeah. That was my access to Supertramp. Um, somebody else is going over there to listen to it over there at their place. And of course, the radio. But that's potluck. You never know when a song's going to come on. So I would have discovered Supertramp on the radio. And then as soon as I had a friend that had the album. <laughs> Straight over it. every day, pushing him aside so you can get to the record player so you can put on Supertramp. What is it you think about this particular album? Uh, you've probably listened to it many times since that has drawn you to it and has it as your first choice today. Well, I was just so blown away by the creativity of mm. the music and it's very complex. And I, you know, the production, the vocal blends. I, I love groups with great vocal blends and their tones just really work together in a very quirky way. I don't know how to really explain it. It's incredible, not, isn't it? Yeah. For the, for the know, year. They're not like, they're, they're different. Their voices are, are just kind of unique, but they work so well together. And then stylistically, the piano work, it's so much of it is led by piano. And I'm a big, I love, um, I have to say I'm more of probably a guitar person, whether it's acoustic or electric. I, I love guitars, every kind of guitar. And so for a band to be so piano forward, but still just rock, was impressive to me. It really, it took me to a different place and it was, and so multidimensional and just the storytelling. And, and it was also very, it's very like, it's got a, what, what I love about this album, Breakfast in America, is it is a happy, uplifting kind of sound all the time, but it's got this melancholy yeah. undertone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That I'm a real sucker for. And I just think they managed it so perfectly. Well, I want to thank you because, you know, you, Choosing this for your recorded history picks today gave me a chance. I have listened to this album many years, I have to be shamefully honest. And uh, I first became aware of Supertramp. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Magnolia from 1999, uh, Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson. It's, it's one of my favourite films of all time. And Tom Cruise, absolutely astonishing in oh, it. But I love that movie too. It, it is, to this one. day, I think it's Tom Cruise's greatest performance. Oh, so yeah. intense. Yeah, yes. it's so intense. But the use of music in that film, and they use my personal favourite track, from the album Goodbye Stranger. And it's wonderful that you mentioned the piano because if you recall it, it starts off with that kind of stompy little piano bit at the beginning. And it absolutely takes you on an incredible journey, that song, as does the album. So I think there was a kind of a renaissance around Supertramp. People reevaluated. I think maybe they were kind of disregarded for many years as being a little cheesy, a little shiny, a little touch of the prog rock off them. But musically, they're up there with one of the great bands. Absolutely. I think they're completely underrated. Yeah, very much so. I think they're very underrated. They're a real rock, pop, meaty musical band. I mean, the, the musicality, the arrangements, they're complicated. You know, there's nothing cheesy about Supertramp. No. And to think that so. this is all done before Pro Tools and the digitalization of studios. This is done on quarter inch tape. In, you know, this is almost done by hand. And I think it's very hard to recreate that sound still. And it absolutely pops and shines to this day. And I'm so grateful to you for giving me the chance to listen back to I this mean, on, on my so record memorable, player. right? Like yeah. all of those keyboard parts are oh. so memorable. They are all hooks and, and the sounds of them and the way they change time signatures. It's just, 
And they know how to start a song. You know, if you listen to, you know, Take the Long Way Home or The Logical Song, you're instantly hypnotized and caught up and going, where am I going with this? Because they didn't sound like anything. There's a bit of a prog rock background to the two lads. They're from England, 1969. So they moved to America and I suppose their influences were kind of, you know, changed as time went on. And they are almost beyond genre definition. They have their own distinct. When you hear, you know, a Super Tramp song, you go, oh, I know who that is instantly. And I think that's one very of their much. great. I groups. mean, they're very commercial sounding. I think yeah, they're absolutely. just, they're so easy to listen to. But there's nothing, but they're meaty. And, and yeah, it says Super Tramp and Breakfast in America had so many. Every song is a classic on that. It is absolutely, yeah. It's one of the greats from that era. I've listened to it three times in the last week and it's back. Great, I'm glad. Thank you. And this is the the great thing about recorded history. Anytime I talk to somebody, when I saw your choices coming through during the week, I was like, oh, yes, thank you. Because many of these albums I haven't listened to in many, many years. And to get Supertramp back in my life, Shania Twain, thank you so much for this. And one of the things I noticed on Breakfast in America is the track listing, how they chose, they start you know, with the slow and then it, how important is that to you? I've noticed with Queen of Me, congratulations on the album, by the way, we'll get to that very shortly, but are you very careful and mindful and thoughtful about what track follows each? You know, you start with Giddy Up, what an opener, by the way, but, you know, to go from one track to the other, how do you make that decision? Well, I think that the album flow, like the song list is a very important journey as a listener, if you're yeah. going to listen from the beginning to the end in that order. So I do pay attention to that because, first of all, I determine, I determine the intention of the album, the way I want it to um, inspire the listener and maybe engage the listener. So I'm calling this album my happy album because yeah. it really did save me during COVID creatively. I, it put me in a good mood, made me laugh and smile and dance around the room. And that was the whole intention behind writing uplifting songs, and which became this album. But, you know, self-empowering songs, self-encouraging songs, self-help songs. folks. <laughs> And so Giddy Up is just one of those, wow. you know, what a song. when last time you got giddy and just <laughs> had a good chuckle. Yeah. And so the lyrics just were kind of silly in the way, you know, to put some up in your giddy, put some spice in your life and pep in your step. And, and so it just seemed fitting to start the album with that in that spirit. Yeah. And I'm hearing, just go back to Supertramp very briefly, that Harry Styles, I know Harry's a good friend of yours. But uh, the likes of Late Night Talking and Sign of the Times, there's really very much a huge Supertramp influence there. And it's great to see them being reevaluated and reintroduced to an, a new and younger audience. But to go back to Harry Styles, that performance with him at Coachella last year, what an incredible moment that was for you. It must have been. Was it daunting or nerve-wracking or exciting? How was it? I wasn't nervous at all because I was just a guest. I was really relaxed about it. Yeah. And, and I didn't. To be honest, I didn't understand the, the impact that it was yeah. going to have. So I just thought it would be this flash thing, this quick get up there, you know, do my little thing with him and just do this friendly. Yeah. Uh, I'm just the the friendly guest showing up and it wasn't about me at all. So I, I didn't feel any pressure. But it, in fact, it became such a moment. Um, I guess if I would have known that that was, there was this weight to it that maybe it would have gotten nervous before. And, but I just went up there. All smiles and happy and just happy to be there. Brilliant. And I think we'll move on and we'll jump into the Hot Tune Time Machine. Forward tonight, we're going from 1979 all the way now up to 1987. This is your second pick for recorded history. An incredible voice, an incredible album. Who is it and what is the album? Uh, Okay, so Terrence Trent Darby is the artist. And this album... I mean, introducing the hardline according to Terrence Strand Darby um, is the album. And it is 
I think it's one of the albums that I've probably, I've had to get three of them because I just, you know, from the time it came out and I just, I listened to it so much. Yeah. Well, first of all, I had to get the vinyl and then I went through two cassettes in the car, you know, over time, but I just couldn't believe it. It, it, It's just such a genius album in in its entirety and he's genius. And I also, I think he's very underrated in comparison to other genius in the in, in that kind of genre. And I think it's probably because he didn't achieve longevity. That's the thing. It's an, He's an intriguing artist. He's, he, he emerged in 1987, as you say, with the absolutely remarkable at the hard line. And his voice, you know, there wasn't much soul around, really. When there was blue-eyed soul, I suppose you could call it that. But he came out and he was so raw and so powerful. His voice was like nothing I'd ever heard. And I remember the album coming out vividly. And songs on it, like Wishing Well, if you let me stay, and my own personal favorite from the album is Sign Your Name. And to this day, it sends goosebumps atop of goosebumps atop of hairs on the back of my neck and head because whatever hair I've left on my head. But, you know, his voice was, it just cut through what was happening in the 80s right there and then. It was like nothing else out there. Nothing. It was soul. Yeah. Like very, very raw soul. But it was so poppy. Everything was catchy and, and sing-along and just stylistically unique. I don't think there's ever been anyone, uh, any, any album, any sound like that since or before. And I just couldn't get enough. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the great thing is, as you mentioned, stylistically, you know, there's definitely a Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye quality. You know, he is harking back, but then with the kind of very modern forward-looking production on it. And I do remember this as well. I don't know if you recall back in around 87, he, he came out in the press quite arrogantly. He called the album the most important album since Sgt. Pepper's. And I think that did for him in a way because the second album wasn't as critically well received, right. you know. And uh, going back to 87, what are your memories of that time? So whereabouts are you? Who is Shania Twain? Where is she? 1987, when you're listening to Terrence Trent Darby. Well, this album really hit me hard creatively because I was considering quitting music at this time. Yeah. And because this is the year my parents died. That's right. So... Um, my whole world's upside down. I'm moving the kids to another town so I can keep singing um, and and still earn a living. And I'm not sure now if I'm going to be able to carry on with a recording career or, or ever not carry on t- to start a recording career because I hadn't even started it yet. And I'm spending a lot of time in the car. I'm running around, taking the kids to school, picking them up, you know, dropping them off, taking them to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to rehearsal. I'm running the roads a lot. And I'm and then and then I'm driving home, you know, back at night. And I'm, all my drives are like thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes. Yeah. So lots of time in my car. And this cassette never left that car. So it in, it was really ingrained, and it was it's a very melancholy album. It is, yes. It's kind of a painful yeah. album. Yeah. Even though it's poppy and it grooves and everything like that, it was the perfect thing for my mood at the time, and and it inspired me creatively. And, and it was important. And you, when you, when you listen to it now, you know, do those feelings still bubble up? You know, I suppose it, it has been tattooed with a very difficult, turbulent time in your life. Do you listen to it now still and it brings back some of those emotions? Absolutely. When I listen to this album, um, I listen to my, the voice in my head that's saying, this is really what you want to do. Yeah. And this is why you really want to do it. You know, because of artists, you know, music like this, it's so great. Amazing. You know, so it was 1987 when your parents so tragically and sadly passed, but it was very quickly, relatively, you know, in a couple of years from 87 that you got your first record deal. 
And I suppose I wanted to speak to you about that time briefly because, to my mind, and sorry if I'm, if I'm projecting my own thoughts and emotions on, on your own situation, but when it came to dealing with the record business, which notoriously tough and merciless and, and cruel, you've been through so much already in your life that the music business must have been, look, what's the worst you're going to throw at me? What I've been through to get, having to take up the responsibility of your, of your brothers and sisters, singing for all those years in bars and then the death of your parents, that the music business, not that it was a, a cakewalk or anything, but it must have been emboldened you, toughened your skin and given you the inner steel and strength that you needed already. You already had that in you before you went tackling one of the most notoriously so-called toughest business in the world. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was free to then pursue my uh, recording career, I was already, I was in a very fearless frame of mind. Yeah. I was, I was like fearless to a fault. And, and that's, you know, because like what you're saying, you know, just coming out of the scariest time of my life, uh, which was my youth and being a, a parent so young to my siblings and just all of that responsibility. And then, you know, then what am I going to do with my life? And, and, it was, I took a lot of courage and forcing myself through my fears. And so moving to the U.S., going to Nashville, which was a completely different culture than, you know, my northern town life, the opposite, in fact. But I was just fearless about it. You know, I'm just like, well, it doesn't look that scary. You know, well, it just... can't have been. You know what I mean? What you'd been through, you'd, you'd climbed so many mountains, as it were, for want of a better metaphor, I suppose, that taking on the business at that stage was like, let's do this. It must have been, I, you know, you can't make things any worse. I can't be any tougher yeah. than what I've had already. I mean, I was also very capable because of yeah. what I had been through. I was very, very capable for my age. So like even basic things, like I would have done anything uh, as of the job. I could have got to, could have, I'm not afraid of work. I was always going to be able to, you know, to make ends meet. I, I could have even have, I could have, I would have been okay to, 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 to buy a tent and go, you know, camp in the bush. I mean, it wouldn't have, Yeah. I would have been fine with that. You know, I didn't need much. So that didn't scare me. Like I wouldn't have had to, I could have gone down to a very basic needs to get by without compromising myself. And, and that didn't scare me. Just I'll just go camp by a river and write songs and yeah. you know I wasn't planning on going home uh, and I wasn't afraid of that so I just didn't have any fear absolutely there was nothing to lose no that's it that's a beautiful way to put it as well and that now we're back into the hot tune time machine now Shania if you don't mind we're going to skip on ahead to the year 2012 I was absolutely delighted to see your choice here for your third entry into your recorded history who and what is it okay Lana Del Rey is the artist. 2012. Yeah. Born to Die is the album. And I drove my husband crazy. It was a, um, I bought the album in a roadside. I bought the CD in a roadside uh, shop <laughs> and we were on a little road trip. My husband and I. And I had first heard Born to Die over in a like clothing store in Las Vegas the first time. And I thought, and I shazammed it. I'm like, what, what is that sound? Yeah. Voice. <laughs> I couldn't believe the voice. I was so intrigued by the voice. So, okay. So now we're on the roadside, a road trip. I pick up the, uh, the CD and I put it in the vehicle. We had like a four hour drive. I must have, I played it over and over and over again. It drove my husband crazy. Yeah. He, he's like, I'm going to, if I hear the song again, I'm going to shoot myself. It's so depressing. 
and it's, it's so melancholy. I can't take it anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm listening to like, listen to the, to the production and listen to her voice and the way she phrases things and the lyrics. And the, I was, I really think she is a genius. She is a songwriting genius. And I do love this, her stylistically, even if it is a bit on the darker side, I don't care. I, I can't say that it makes me depressed. I'm inspired by the, the artistic, I guess, uniqueness that she she's so individual yeah and of all the artists the ones you've chosen today each one has a common thread is their uniqueness and i think when i first heard lana del rey i remember it very vividly as well and it wasn't a too dissimilar situation to your own i was out and about and i popped into a friend's house and they had uh, it was video games actually the first time i i uh, gosh almighty gosh almighty and much similar to your own experience, I just went, I went silent, first of all. And I said, excuse me, what, who, uh, what's happening here? Who is that? You know, I wasn't as, as elegant or as eloquent with <laughs> what, how I yeah. asked. You know, there might have been an expletive in there. I was like, what the F? I cannot believe what I'm hearing. And they were like, oh, it's this American girl called Lana Del Rey. Nobody seems to know much about her. And I was like, is, she, is this from the 1950s or the 70s? Or what is this? And he, So hard to put your finger on. Yeah. I thought it was I, I thought it was an older woman. Yeah, same here. It was it was just so incredible. It's so mysterious in every way. And um I was blown away by it. I I mean, summertime sadness is probably my favorite one. I've got so many ones. Oh, no, no, no. This is what makes us girl. Yeah. I love that one. I got I to gotta do that one. I got to do a remake of that one. Yeah, I oh. think as well as it's also her image as well, because she was very smart. And I don't think, and I'm not implying that she did this on purpose or cynically, but she kept herself very mysterious and away didn't give too much away in interviews. And her look was like nothing that was out in and around that time in the charts or even in the indie charts. So it all added to this really kind of an aura of otherworldliness as the music did. It's true. The irony of that is that she's so authentic to herself. No doubt. Yeah. Like when you meet her and talk to her, she's she's just really that. Have you met her? Yeah. You must have done yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. And and I, I've seen her um, in concert twice, in fact, and, uh, and, and chatted with her and stuff. And She's just really that. She's just this authentic, she's authentically mysterious, I guess. I'm yeah. not sure how to... I don't think she's pretending. No, no, she's not pretending. It's she's real, yeah. Very, very, she's very thoughtful and, you know, quite pensive. And, and that comes out in her in how she writes and delivers the, the songs. And, and speaking of meeting with Lana Del Rey, you've been such a massive influence on so many artists over the last couple of years. You know, obviously, famously, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Diplo, incredibly. The list goes on and on. And I wanted to ask you, you know, when you meet young artists like Lana Del Ray or, or Harry Styles, and they maybe express their gratitude and thanks. Does that influence work both ways? Does it work in your direction as well when you meet th these young artists? Are you feeding off their energies and their creativity just as much? Absolutely. I am very inspired by their work, first of all, and their talent. And it it's kind of surreal, I would say, to hear their impression of me and, and, and the inspiration that they get from my music. So it's, it's this full circle relationship that is very interesting and bridges the, the age gap and the generation gap somehow. It just all becomes about uh, what we love about each other, what we admire about each other. And it's just a really good exchange. A, just a really good mutual appreciation exchange between artists. 
Yeah, because I think throughout your career, from your earliest albums, records, release singles, and up to The Queen of Me, one of the great strengths you have, I think, as a songwriter and a performer is your openness. You were very, I, I was so intrigued and interested by the documentary, first of all, the honesty of it. And you were, at a very young age, you tried to switch to get into rock music. You were, you know, you were singing country. And that was really interesting to me because I think since then, you can hear it in your albums, and I think in almost particular in The Queen of Me, that you're so open to other influences outside the seemingly restrictive country music vibe. There's a lot of dance, there's folk, there's Americana, there's rock, there's definitely a load of pop. And is that something that you decided from an early start in your career or is it just something that happened naturally or organically? Are you that kind of person that doesn't want to be pinned down to any particular box or title? As a child starting out, my performance career, my stage career, my live career in in just local little bars, they were all, it was all, at the time, the country top 40 yeah. um, that everybody wanted to hear. So my repertoire was entirely country music. And I had some folk songs in there, um, like I did some bread songs and Jim Crochet, but it was primarily country, top 40. By the time I was a teenager, all of a sudden, the bars changed their uh, demand and they were hiring only top 40 pop and rock okay right so now all of a sudden to get in the bars and be singing in there i've got to you got to change it up i've got to learn my i've got to relearn my whole repertoire uh, which was kind of gradual anyway because i was doing it on my own and i started writing more poppy things as well but now all of a sudden it became you know journey and and pat benajar and you know all of the even saga and you know like yeah. a lot of these we were doing Yes and this huge wide variety of every, you know, top 40 song. And we were changing it up. We had to learn new songs every couple of weeks. So this was just where all of a sudden my voice is going into a whole different style education, I guess you would say. And I had always been into R&B. That was always right from my childhood. So that was always there anyway. I was always, I was a, a, an amazing Stevie Wonder backup singer. Oh my God, pretty. I had it down. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Every, every lick. Oh yeah, and that was my thing. I would just. I can hear it. I would just get excellent at doing, doing Stevie Wonder two-part harmony. So that was just like a vocal thing that I love to do. So all these styles, I think just in the end, when I finally became a recording artist, were my own style. Mm this kind of hybrid style and the country music never left me it was always kind of there underneath especially you know in my the way i structure things but then the statement lyrics are all very raw you know that's literally the rock influence yeah there's there's a bit of everything isn't it country you know uh statement kind of lyrics that, that's just all from my rock years the the, the album it's I, i have to thank you first of all i was in what we call in ireland an absolute fowler which is a bad mood on Monday, I have to travel back across cross country to see my little boys too. So I travel back. It's a place called Mayo. Hopefully, you've been there, considering you're Irish, of course. And I was in just dreadful form, Shania. I was in dreadful form. I was glum. And I put the album on and I put it on. I'm going to listen to this album from Mayo to Dublin. And by the time I approaching Dublin, I almost pulled the car in about ten miles out and climbed out the window, Dukes of Hazard style, and almost ran home. I was a new man. It is an incredibly, I suppose, affecting, positive, upbeat. Now, there has its obviously thoughtful and inward thinking moments, but from giddy up, really, onwards, I was on a better path that day and I've been listening to it religiously since. You know, I think the intention, or maybe you'll explain the intention of this album is that you wrote it obviously before the pandemic and over the pandemic. It speaks to me of a woman dusting herself down after some tough times and just getting on with life. Yeah. 
it's exactly that. It, it's saying to yourself, saying to myself, okay, take charge yeah. of your, your frame of mind. And that's, you know, taking ownership of your mood. And, and that's, you're a good example of that because it's like, okay, so you know, you know what music to put on mm. if you want to get out of your funk. Oh, um, it did, you know, big time. And, yeah. Or if you want to cry, you know what music to put on. And it's music's very effective that way. So for me, the al- writing this album was that exercise. It was an exercise to say, okay, it's, you know, we don't know how long this pandemic's going to last. Um, and, it, and it, it, you know, of course, it's a dark period and it's a stressful period. So you've got to find something that to do that's productive. Let your creative creativity flow so you're not, you know, building up this whole you know, building into a bottleneck sort of thing, which is could be dangerous at a time like that during COVID. So I decided, okay, I'm going to write happy songs, things that make me laugh and smile and particularly want to dance. So the album is quite dancing. It is, yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. And it's all very deliberate. Um, it was it was a self-help process. And I think if you don't mind me picking, it changes every day, my favorite track from the album, but the one that I keep going back to, Inhale, Exhale, Air, really got under my skin and into my heart because there's a line from that, you know, obviously you know the line. What are you going to do with that air? Get up, you stand up, put your hands in it. And this is my favorite part. Get up on your chair and put your dance in it. You know, I could run through a wall listening to that, you know. So I think that is indicative of where and what you're trying to say with this album. So thank you for that. You put me in much better form and I suppose my, my partner and my friends thank you as well for getting me That's out of that funk. Before we finish up, Shania, again, thank you so much for sharing your wonderful, intriguing and interesting choices for recorded history. For people that are going to be looking back on your back catalogue as well, of course, the Shania Sance is real and happening. And I should say that you'll be able to get all your back catalogue on therecordhub.com. Is there any particular favourite album that you have? I mean, the current one aside. Oof, I would say probably, I don't know, I think Up's probably my favourite yeah. one. Yeah, it's mine as well. Um, Forever and For Always is, is one of the favourite songs I've ever written. Yeah, it's a tough question. And no, impossible but to I would pick I'd probably children. say up. Okay. And I think because I didn't, and there was also a lot of, I wasn't under any pressure anymore because I'd already like, Come On Over was the more pressure album because it was, okay, I better put my best foot forward. I got to put like all, you know, all hands on deck, every finger, every, every toe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not imagine that I'm going to get another chance at it. So I'm going to, you know, put all my best ideas, right? You know, I'm not going to save any for another album. I think it worked. I think so much. I think it's safe to say you did okay. It worked. And just before we let you go, sorry, Nushna, but you're coming home to Ireland, of course. You were born Eileen, beautifully Irish yeah. name. Your grandmother's from County Kildare, Newbridge. Yeah. So you're coming home. Let's we'll claim you if you don't mind. You're coming home to play Ireland in the Three Arena the 19th and 20th of September. What can fans expect when they go to see it later this year? Oh. Well, this is a show I've never done before. It's a very, it's going to be, uh, it'll be very energetic. Yeah. I am going to put quite a few of the new um, songs from now in the show because they're just so danceable and, and uplifting. I will do, uh, I will touch on a lot of songs people haven't heard in a long time okay, as good. well. That's I good. thought I would, you know, yeah. uh, bring some fan favorites back in that I haven't done in, in many years. But I will do the classics so they can expect. Yeah. Let's classics. go. Let's go, hear. girls. Has to be there. Or else there'll be I know. There'll be a riot. If I, ever, if I ever do a tour without the classics, I'll put a warning sign. For you'll be seeing the fight in Irish if that isn't there. Listen, Shania, it's been an absolute honor and privilege, and especially on days of all days, International Women's Day, to speak to one of the most iconic, influential, and important female musical artists of all time. So thank you for that great honor, and congratulations on the album Queen of Me. 
it, it is absolutely stunning. And if anyone's out there in a bad mood or in a funk or as I say, in a fowler, get it, listen to it and it'll change your day. And above all, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your incredible choices for recorded history. Thank you so much. I love that you pointed out, get up on the chair and put your dance in it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. This chair here, if it can carry my weight, Shania, I'm going to stand up on it. And right now, as soon as we're finished, and I'm going to punch the air, and that is, I'm going to put my dance into it. That's it. I'm get the tattoo. And he's just a lyric, but it works so if well. I, if I ever get a and tattoo, that's what it's going to be. Put your dance into it. What a line. Dance in it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. And okay. have a great day. Thank you so much Thank for taking you. the time. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. That's just about it for the very first episode of Recorded History with my very first guest. Yes, Shania Twain. Wow. What a thrill to get this time to chat with her about her choices and such great choices they were. I can hardly believe she was so generous to help us launch the Good Ship Recorded History. Thank you, Shania, if you're listening, for sharing the personal side of your record collection. Now, if she's inspired you to go and buy one of the records that she's mentioned or just one you love yourself, then we'd love if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. We simply could not make this podcast without their generosity. And the generosity is continuing in your direction, dear listeners, because, yes, they've kindly given us a 15% discount code to celebrate the launch. Use TRHPOD15 if you want to avail of the offer. Again, I'll give it to you. TRHPOD15 over on therecordhub.com. How sound? I really hope you've enjoyed our first Crate Dive together and that you'll join me next week and every Sunday after that when we'll be hearing from a delightful mix of homegrown and international talent. We've got actors, writers, broadcasters, artists, and many, many more lined up for you over the next coming weeks and months. Each guest has such a unique relationship with the music that they listen to, and I can't wait to share these rich and varied chats with you. Next week's guest is someone who's no stranger to a Shania song herself. No, having recently performed one for the big busk. Yes, that's right. The brilliantly talented and hilariously funny Pamela Joyce joins me next Sunday, so make sure to stop by. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. You've hit follow and become a weekly listener, right? Yes. Well done. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com your local Irish and online record store.